The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. This podcast is brought to you by the Sun Valley Wellness Festival, featuring the top speakers, visionaries, and practitioners addressing diverse aspects in the fields of body, spirit, and environmental wellness. Featuring keynote speakers, Jewel, Marianne Williamson, and Concert with MC Yogi. For more information, visit sunvalleywellness.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Pastor Chris Hoke. Chris is a prison chaplain and pastor to Mexican gangs in Washington's Skagit Valley. Through his work with Tierra Nueva, a Christian ministry catering to immigrants, inmates, ex-offenders, and the homeless, he co-founded a coffee roasting business called the Underground Coffee Project, which employs men coming out of prison and recovering from addiction. Chris is the author of Wanted, A Spiritual Pursuit Through Jail, Among Outlaws, and Across Borders. Chris Hoke, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thanks so much. Uh, It's my pleasure. Before we get into the book itself... One of the things that's written about you on the book is they call you a shepherd to the black sheep. So I want to know how you became a shepherd to the black sheep. What was your own spiritual journey? Well, one way to say it is I grew up over church. And uh, I've learned that there's a lot of people who resonate with that word. Just growing up with too much, too much American Christian church, and too many sitting in services, a sermon, a song, a communion, out. But uh, I grew restless as a kid in Southern California in an evangelical church setting because we're, Christian kids are oftentimes told to, um, they're given an invitation, a really existentially demanding uh, invitation at the end. Do you want to follow Jesus? And you're invited to raise your hand and make a, a pretty big decision. I did that over and over and over. But I think I grew, I don't think I could have named it growing up, but I think I grew frustrated because I said yes, but no one showed me how to enter that story of this amazingly wild and mystical man who was on the outskirts of his society and walking among the outcasts and prostitutes and tax collectors who ended up being arrested and killed. Um, I was just told to come back next Sunday and to Bible study on Wednesdays and be a good kid and get and get good grades and don't sleep with my girlfriend. Um, and I think most people get tired of an overchurched upbringing. And they either leave the church or they go to seminary <laughs> to, to try to find at least an academic way to the story they've already said yes to. Uh, and so I, that, I followed that restlessness to really follow this Nazarene, beautiful, weirdo Jesus uh, when I heard about a ministry opportunity in inner city Oakland after high school. And so I turned down my acceptances to Christian colleges and spent a year in a, a very poor and violent neighborhood in Oakland and I felt closer to God than I ever had in any. Uh, I wasn't reading enough of the mystics yet, so I couldn't have named how I felt the presence of God. But I, 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 I felt it there on the streets, getting to know my Salvadoran neighbor who was hiding from gangs 
that he had been part of in El Salvador and uh, and in San Francisco and being in his garage and being among all these characters that I was raised in the white suburbs to avoid the very people that I was when I drew closer to those I was told to avoid I felt closer to God and so then I went to Berkeley and loved my education there ended up writing a long thesis on the Gospels and how it's a it's a scandal of the Christendom looking at a lot of Dostoevsky and Kierkegaard and sociology of poverty and but then I was I was pretty suicidal in college. I um I couldn't I still couldn't reconcile the ideas uh, with with how to get close to them and to enact them until I heard about this little ministry called Tierra Nueva, way up in Skagit County, the far northwest corner of the country. Uh, that was uh, there was this uh, a professor who had been an agrarian kind of revolutionary in the mountains of Honduras in the 80s during the years of violence, and then was now a, a THD professor of Old Testament and Hebrew Bible, but in a small county jail. And that's that sounded right to me, to study the scriptures among the very people that Jesus was among, uh, not in a seminary. And so when I went up to the jail, I was just looking for my own ability to, in context, really follow Jesus. But it was in a cold, multi-purpose room in a small county jail where I met my favorite spiritual conversation partners I've ever had. They were my age, they were Mexican, they had tattoos on their necks and on their faces, and they had a lot of profanity when they spoke, but they um, they had amazing insights, drawing parallels between what was going on in the Gospels and what was going on in their community today. And then they invited me into their world. They invited me into visiting them one-on-one in the evenings because they didn't have many family members or people who were allowed to visit them. And so I, I didn't have any friends in the valley, here in the Skagit Valley. So it was really gang members and criminals that showed me hospitality, invited me into their world, into their friendship circles, and who, who honored me. They called me pastor long before any denomination would ordain me. Uh, gang members called me pastor, and that was uh, a term I didn't like. I was, I was very anti-church. I would have preferred, you know, grassroots activist theologian or something that I thought was pretty cool. But they're like, we don't know what the hell that means. You're a pastor, dog. Um <laughs> And so I, I had to reconcile with this word when they introduced me to lawyers. And I'd, I'd walk alongside them to their legal appointments, or they'd call me at 1, 1 a.m., and I'd show up at the back of some a pretty uh, shady-looking house and walk in. There's a bunch of guys strapped ready for gang activity. And the gang leader would introduce me. They'd hey, everybody, this is it's our pastor. I just wanted you all to meet him. And I, I, I had a harder and harder time blushing and dodging that word. And the way I could embrace it is in Spanish, Pastor is just shepherd, and shepherds aren't like ranch managers. They're not like the big bosses of, uh, of religious plantations. They're um, they're the ones who kind of disappear with the sheep into the hidden places, and they walk with them and know their names. And their shepherds are very lowly figures. So I, I guess I could embrace the idea of being a pastor as a shepherd and a shepherd of the black sheep, of the very ones that society pushes away and doesn't want. Great, um, great story. I mean, that's just really, really powerful. I, I'm just a little curious... If in your experience, when you brought the the story of Jesus to these uh, gang members, it, did it impact their lives? I mean, you're saying you, they, they wanted to introduce you, but they were on their way out to do something horrendous. Uh, I, it's it's sort of dis, there's sort of a, dis, a mismatch there between Jesus's message and what they were actually doing. What what were they hearing from you? I think they were hearing both in the Bible studies and hopefully incarnated in me is. A God who's a friend of sinners, and this was a label that was a slur thrown at Jesus, you know, that friend of sinners, like he mixes with the wrong crowd. But I, I think that slur of Jesus is, 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 the, is the theology that, that has most won my heart, that a, a God who loves us at our worst, 
and who loves us in the midst of our worst and who guides us out of our worst by then, not being afraid to right. meet us. At yeah, sure. I mean, that, that, I just keep thinking, you know, go and sin no more. That that part didn't seem to settle in, right? Or, or am I missing that? Well, not at the beginning. I mean, now that gang leader is now a, a fellow pastor of mine, 10 years ah, later. Okay. His desk is facing mine right now while we speak, and he's out with guys planting gardens and helping uh, with scores of folks in solitary confinement cells and in gang units and the most high-violent offenders in Washington State. He knows from his years throughout prison, and they're all now following his his example slowly and wanting to get out of this life, but it takes time. So what do you think turns someone around? I mean, you're not the only pastor in a prison. Uh, Christianity is not the, well, maybe it is. You have to tell us where you are. Maybe it's, it is the only religion represented at that prison. But in other prisons, I mean, there's there's a lot of, of Muslim chaplaincy going on. What is it you think that, that turns someone around and, and why the Christian story as opposed to some other? Oh, gosh, I, I don't want to be in a position to speak uh, in opposition to, to other f- faith traditions. But what for me has, especially when I was in at, at Berkeley and I was work, being a Christian was very not cool. Um, so that was good for me to be out of any kind of Christendom or privilege. Something that captured my heart in Berkeley and in Oakland and that I think really connects with guys uh, in prison is, is the word becoming flesh, is the kind of the idea of the incarnation. Um, there's a lot of talk, and in prison talk is cheap. In religion... Is, is oftentimes a currency of words, whether it's um, spiritual practices or heavy-handed doctrine, whether it's liberal or it's conservative, it's, it's a war of words. And I think people who have felt unwanted by the world, that have, um, have, have suffered a lot, that are, are very stuck, and that haven't, there were social systems have failed them, families have failed them, to have love that comes with flesh on it. And uh, I think a chaplaincy role that goes beyond a, a paid job description by the Department of Corrections, but someone who will enter your world where the word becomes flesh and, and, and shows up and visits them at their worst and loves them and shows up and walks with them in the flesh beside them and, and loves them and sees them at their worst and goes to their courts with them and helps them meet their daughters uh, and prays with them. And it's a hand on their back and on their heart or holding mm-hmm. one's hand. Or, or laughing or yeah, eating food together. It's, it's, it becomes sacramental. It becomes in, incarnated. And then folks open up their hearts. Um, then the, 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 it be, leaves their head and it enters not just their heart, but their, their lifestyle, their, their decisions, their family. So many guys w- who have left the gang lived with me for a while. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a lot about life together, about discipleship, that, that Jesus didn't just have words, but the lives that changed are folks that he walked with and invited them to leave what they were doing and walk alongside him. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26 at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So do you think, I imagine that a lot of these people uh, came from a religious background, right? They, they had been exposed to church. I, tell me, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of them were Catholic. 
uh, what you're doing is from the Protestant side, I imagine. Was there something missing? Was their pastor or priest not walking alongside them when they were young? Or it just takes an adult mind to grasp what you're, you're trying to do? Uh, it's a good question. No, most of the folks that I work with have have not did not grow up within a spiritual tradition. I guess just by virtue of being Latin American, there, there's a there's a vague kind of cultural association there. Um, but most of the folks who end up in gangs hardly had um, uh, a, a strong supportive family environment, let alone one that nurtured uh, any kind of faith. Um, and so they're they're kind of a blank slate faith wise. They're 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 kind of a Lived theology, I guess, would teachers hate me, my parents don't really like me, my girlfriend hates me, the cops hate me, the judges hate me, God probably hates me too. I think I hate myself. There's, it's just, it's a whole cosmos of contempt and rejection. So does it flip when they realize that God doesn't hate them, and then the next domino to go is, then I don't hate myself? If God can love me, maybe I can learn to love me, and that's that's the turning point? What's your sense of that? I think so. I think a lot of folks... It w- that would not be a conscious thought process that you just articulated. Sure, but I think sure. emotionally and spiritually, I think that's a big part of um, of what people experience, especially in the Bible studies, as we look at Jesus and invite people to infer from what Jesus incarnates, what kind of a God, if he were a reflection, if he were embodiment of who God is, what's God like? Well, he's cool. What do you mean he's cool? Well, well, he's down with with motherfuckers like us. He doesn't reject us, and and he he calls out the bullshit and the and the religious leaders. And I'm, you know, I'm down with Jesus. Well, what if Jesus is is an image of what God's like? How would that change your assumptions of who God is and his attitude towards you? And beginning these kind of what if conversations, knowing that this isn't going to shift everything in their lives, but it 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 begins new musings. It begins new reflections, and then the onus is on us to incarnate that. I believe. So, what if you were suddenly transported to a, um, a suburban church, and for X number of months you were—that was your pat. That, that's these are the people you had to pastor. Do you think you could show, share with them the same Christ that you could share in a jail, or would they be deaf? To- that's a good question. I'm in suburban churches all the time now. I'm normally in those churches with gang members <laughs> speaking and the the connections between the two are really fruitful there's something about a gang member someone who is a uh, you know quote unquote criminal and hearing their story and hearing about divine love and grace meeting them and transforming them that i think is kind of the almost like a our internal lives writ large almost like a caricature of our condition it's almost hard for us who have been so trained to hide our mess and hide our darkness, hide our own self-contempt and terror and inner rejection. It's hard to talk about it. But then when, you, when, when there's someone who embodies our greatest darkness and to see what love does to them, that's the good news, I think, for so, much, so many of us who look like we've got our, our act together. So that's a great way of putting it, because I was thinking, are people listening to you and uh, the men you, you bring into their churches are they saying, and of course, asking you to read their minds, so you're going to have to just bear with that, sure. but are they saying, there but for the grace of God go I, or are they saying, whoa, these guys are mirroring my own shadow side, my own dark side. I can see myself as a part of them, or, or they're no longer the other, because people are recognizing their own you know, shadow side. 
Yeah, I, I, interesting. Just kind of we've, we've jumped the social fence, and what you're articulating right there, I would say the same thing. I think that's what's happening emotionally and spiritually in folks in mainstream churches we visit, but I don't know if they could articulate it that, the way you have really eloquently. And I think that's part of the the gospel, the good news that's proclaimed of the government, the the realm, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus' apostles proclaim and that Paul is so adamant about. You know, this guy that was super religious and, and zealous and violent and ideological, you know, Paul. And then he, he's met mystically by this, this bleeding and broken and suffering God who loves him uh, and that forgives him. Then he starts proclaiming this message that, that of, of tearing down walls that create social others. For him, it was you know the Gentiles outside of the yeah right uh, outside of the Jewish identity and race and, and religion religious barriers, um, men, woman, slave, Greek, free. You know his letters around uh, around the Mediterranean were really attacking these kind of social others and social yeah he was he was preaching others. a revolution not unlike Jesus, also preaching a revolution. I'm wondering if you're, in a sense, doing the same thing. And, and I want to ask you, because our time is short, but I, I just want to bring up a different element to get your insight into this. Mm-hmm. I am in no way an expert uh, or even all that well-educated in the prison system. But what little I know, especially about privatized prisons, is that the prison is a business, and the inmates are the product or, or maybe the currency of that business. And I'm wondering if there's something that you see that needs to change in that in that for-profit prison system, and and what you know our listeners could consider or you know, you know think about that you see really would would make a, a huge shift in what we are doing at the moment. Uh, it's kind of the Egypt, and and I, I I believe there's a spirit that wants to see the the abolition and the crumbling of this death system, um, and there's there's a really good movement that's brewing right now in the underground in, in America. And there's a lot of equivalents of Martin Luther King's really, really, I think, anointed leaders out there that are calling for a huge reform and a groundswell of communities across uh, faith traditions uh, working in their communities to create underground railroads, getting people a grand exodus out of the prison system. Uh, underground railroad sounds like an escape, like they're, you're breaking them out. Are you, you know, are you saying literally well, or well, metaphorically? Well, metaphorically, but uh, with a little more teeth to it. That uh, There's a really important book that's very popular right now called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Anderson. Uh, I'm sorry, Michelle Anderson, uh, Michelle Alexander. Um, and she, she talks about how it's not just folks who are locked up behind bars, but the way the entire criminal justice system has grown for the last 50 or so years in America keeps people trapped in going back to prison, there's so many social barriers through parole, through debt, that it's it's so hard to break back into society. And once you have a felony record, you're now effectively disenfranchised. There's more people, uh, there's more African Americans who are disenfranchised and who can't vote now than during the Jim Crow era. And so this whole this whole system, whether someone has served their time or not, is is something that is is pretty. It's pretty corrupt. So if there was one thing, because I realize I asked you a huge question there. If, if, if there was one thing that people could do to support you or, and, and people like you, can you tell us what that might be? Oh, wow. Um, pop into your well, head? I know what the solution is locally. I, I know how to invite people to, to partner with our work here in the Northwest. But, but as the show is, is across, across the states, I would, I would encourage folks to find someone with a felony record. Find someone with a family member who's locked up 
and come alongside that family member uh, and write to that person who's locked up. Find out how hard it will be f- for them to get back on their feet, to get a job, uh, to get their driver's license, and to go after their dreams of being that restored mother or father they really want to be. And when you see and you walk alongside folks how immense these barriers are, um, it'll revolutionize it. Fantastic. Perfect way to end the show, Chris. Thank you so much. My guest today was Chris Hoke. You can learn more about his work at chrishoke.com. And please take a look at his new book, Wanted, A Spiritual Pursuit Through Jail, Among Outlaws and Across Borders. Chris, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Uh, Thanks so much. Really fascinating discussion. Support for this week's edition of Essential Conversations is provided by Sun Valley Wellness Festival, featuring top speakers, visionaries, and practitioners in the fields of body, spirit, and environmental wellness. This year's festival will be held May 27 through 30 and features Jewel, Marianne Williamson, Joan Borisenko, and MC Yogi. For more information, visit Sun Valley Wellness. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.